Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we help you get better at doing the hard things that make life exciting. Sorry about no short episode last Friday. I was running my first building resilience and patience workshop on the Saturday and needed just to unload a little bit of stuff. So yeah, apologies that that one didn't come out. It will be back next week though. But today I've got an awesome episode for you. Beatrice Thorne, who is the head of product and experience for Eve Health. Beatrice is a is a really fascinating lady doing some some pretty awesome stuff in regards to hormone testing at the moment and the effect that that has on us and on our lives. And a little bit of background of about Beatrice and how she got into this. While she was working in her former role as senior management team leader at Be Pure, and I've interviewed Ben Warren here as well, Beatrice chose to come off the contraceptive pill after 10 years and found that she really struggled to establish balance with her hormones. Through her own health journey, she began educating herself on hormone health through reading research articles, listening to podcasts, and just peppering the BPUA clinical and scientific teams with questions. And it was really a catalyst to Eve Health's first product come to market, the hormone balance test. So this is a really fascinating conversation about self-awareness. It's about looking after your own health, looking for better ways to do things. It is about overcoming challenges, especially in fields that you don't have any background in especially in fields that are that are slightly unfamiliar to you as well and it's also about being compassionate to other people but also more importantly being compassionate to yourself thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with beatrice and i today beatrice thorne thank you so much for coming on the uncomfortable is okay podcast with me this evening you are so welcome. I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. How are you today? Yeah, doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a good day. Feeling good. Fantastic. I always like to kick things off with a little bit of background about people. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a town called Dorchester, which is the county town of a um, county called Dorset in the UK. And very kind of small for England, smallish town, quite near the coast. Lots of farm around green rolling hills things like that that's where that's where I hail from that's home awesome and do you remember any formative experiences in your youth that have kind of pointed you in the direction that you're you're moving in today absolutely so my dad is actually a clinical psychologist so some of my kind of early happy childhood memories are Sundays in the shed with dad trying to catch spiders that he could take into work to use with arachnophobic clients <laughs> to use for exposure therapy with them. <laughs> He'd start off small, you know, releasing a money spider into the room and then, you know, his, his patients would get comfortable with that and the spiders would grow in size. So it fascinated me how he would use these different techniques to help people feel better in their lives. And I guess through them being with and sitting in that discomfort, realizing that actually it's okay and they're still safe and that had such a huge impact on me I knew that I always wanted to do something that was health related whether it was mental health or physical health always wanted to help people and yeah just fascinated with how people work both on a mental and, and physical kind of biological level and I think that it's very much been his influence that's led me towards doing something that's of service to others. 
Fascinating. And yeah, I had a bit of an internal, an internal chuckle with that story as well. He obviously let his clients know that he was about to release the spider or did he just... Yeah, yeah. But no, they, they definitely do some pre-work. Like, you know, these are serious arachnophobes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just don't like, kind of release it and have it crawl across the desk. No, no. Just like, I'm just going to pop this in your hair. Um, no, <laughs> nothing like that. So they'd, they'd have done quite a bit of pre-work, you know, even before a money spider's released into the room. But they're kind of, once they were cured, I suppose, of the phobia, they had a, a pet tarantula at my dad's practice. Um, when, when the people were cured, they, they'd get to pet the tarantula <laughs> as kind of proof to themselves and to you know everyone else that you know they're cured it's, it's gone <laughs> yeah that's fascinating actually so obviously you've had a, an interest in, in health from a young age where did that take you through kind of your your school years I never thought I was very bright or very good, I suppose, at the sciences and the maths. I had no evidence to back that up, but I just had this belief, I suppose, that wasn't something that I was good at. So I never gravitated towards some of those subjects that I think traditionally people would associate with, you know, going on to do something that was health related. I always felt really drawn towards them, but then thought, oh no, you know, I'm, I'm no good at that. Which looking back was complete bullshit. <laughs> but it's funny, yeah. these limiting beliefs that we form at a really young age and how they can you know go on to shape us but I always felt really torn between business and doing something that helped people and in my head when I was young I thought helping people is you know being a psychologist or a therapist or it's going into medicine like those are the only ways that you can do things that help people you know hands-on and I didn't know what I know now about you know the myriad of different professions that exist all of the different types of ways that human beings need a helping hand and so I actually studied languages at university so I spent time living in Germany and Italy and studying how to speak different languages and communicate with different types of people and it wasn't until I really started getting into health in my personal life a lot more in depth, you know, cleaning up my diet, doing a lot of my own personal research around nutrition and kind of biochemistry and what we should be eating and how we should be moving and, you know, the nutrients behind it all and everything, everything like that, that I really started to think, you know, I really, this is, this is my biggest passion. I want to be working in this space. How can I get there? And at that point, my professional background had been broad business background, so management, marketing, sales. And I was thinking, you know, how am I going to do this? And I came across Be Pure, actually, this would have been probably four or five years ago, and started following, you know, some of the recommendations that they have around diet and lifestyle and saw incredible changes in my own health you know incredible more energy than I'd had for you know a long time more strength focus you know everything seemed to be improving gut health was improving sleep was improving and I was like wow you know this is the truth everybody needs to know this stuff because this is the key to life you know without health what have we got so I kind of tracked down BPR at the time convinced them to give me a job yeah how did you go about convincing them of that well I'd knocked around a few BPR events and ended up uh, making friends with a guy who was their marketing manager at the time and I pretty much emailed him and I was like hey so you've got an HR email address but you're too small to have HR what you know who does that email address go to and he said oh yeah that goes to our CEO but what are you really asking here 
I'll help you out. Just tell me what you want. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'd like a job. So it took a couple of months and a few, a few different catch-ups to try and find something that would fit. But I originally joined as HR, which has been part of my background. And quite quickly after maybe two or three months, moved into a business manager role. So with Be Pure, so that involved kind of doing different projects, solving problems, developing new products, you know, at different times managing a clinic, pretty much you name it within Be Pure. At some point it fell under my remit, which was an incredible learning experience because a lot of this stuff, you know, I knew how business worked. I knew how companies worked. I knew how to manage people and I knew how to run projects, but it was applying all of this knowledge to stuff that was completely new, but in a realm that I was so passionate about, I just couldn't get enough of it. And then through that, that kind of led to me doing what I'm doing now with Eve, which is a sister company of Be Pure. So it was Ben Warren, who runs BPR, myself, BPR's CEO, and somebody else on the kind of BPR senior management team who really have coined and come up with Eve Health. And then I'm lucky enough to have been able to bring it to bring a vision for it to life and yeah, be driving it now. Awesome. And I'm gonna come back to Eve Health, but I want to I want to jump back a little bit. What triggered you wanting to make some health changes in yourself? I started getting kind of IBS symptoms, I suppose, when I was about seven, 16 or 17. So I had anti, I had tonsillitis four times in one year when I was about 16 or 17 and was pretty much on antibiotics on and off for that entire year. And it did an absolute number on my gut. I was a C-section baby. So was born, you know, not getting that beneficial flora from natural birth that, that babies miss out on if they're born through c-section then you know had bouts of antibiotics as most of us do as a child and then yeah this year when I pretty much nuked my microbiome with antibiotics over and over led to started leading to some pretty nasty gut issues that followed me around for several years and really kicked a dairy intolerance that I you know had low level from for my whole life it really brought that into the forefront and now dairy is just an absolute no-go it's a real trigger food for me and so that was a big part of it you know at 17 there was a summer where I just couldn't go out and do anything see any friends because I was just doubled over in pain in bed not able to really eat anything without getting a really severe gut reaction doctors couldn't really say what was wrong at one point they thought it was my gallbladder you know they thought maybe I had Crohn's disease there was all sorts of things and in the end they said oh no you've just got IBS you know good luck <laughs> that was yeah really difficult to come to terms with because when you're 17 as well you you think you're young and you're invincible and life is supposed to be your oyster but when you're feeling low energy and you have to be really careful about what you're eating that's not how I wanted to be living so I think from there I had to start becoming really conscious of what I ate how I felt after different types of food what was triggers what weren't and try and figure out what what worked and then you know after university I moved to London very much lived a London lifestyle got into partying a little bit too hard a little bit too often and one of the main reasons why I wanted to move to New Zealand was you know I'd heard that it was you know this clean green lovely place and I was thinking my lifestyle has really dipped from being something that I'm comfortable with and I was excited for the focus on health that moving to New Zealand would would bring because I do think particularly compared to the UK New Zealand is incredibly forward thinking in its approach to health you know there's a big there's lots of big conversations here around 
holistic health and alternative practices, natural medicine. And those conversations just aren't happening in the same way in the UK. You know, when I moved over to New Zealand, I'd never even seen a chia seed before. They don't sell them in English supermarkets. <laughs> um, so there was this whole world of health and wellness here. And I started eating better and moving better and quickly seeing improvements and symptoms that I'd been struggling with for years. And for me anyway, you know, as soon as I started feeling better, I was thinking, you know, wow, there's really something to this. So that, that was a big spark of it. Interesting. And thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Looping back around to, to Eve Health, how did the concept for that come up? Yeah, so through the BPL clinic, so BPL's got a clinic in Auckland, but we do mostly health consulting via video conferencing so that we're able to help people all across New Zealand. And what we've seen over the past few years of the thousands of people that we've worked with is that either hormones are their primary concern when they come in, or that as soon as we start working with them, you know, through one conversation, we can see that hormones are a really, really big part of their health picture and health puzzle that we need to help them fix and sorry to interrupt and that kind of hormone picture is that mostly your female clients or both female and male clients you'd be surprised how many men actually have hormone imbalance issues as well so we can go into what that looks like for women but for men hormone imbalance can look like you know trouble making gains at the gym so there's a lot of guys who maybe they're going to the gym they're eating right they're doing everything right but they're not able to put muscle on very easily or tone up so that would point to hormone imbalance most likely higher estrogen levels lower testosterone low libido so a huge number of our male clients actually come with, you know, erectile dysfunction, low libido, man boobs, not feeling good. For men and women, as soon as sex drive goes, you know something's wrong. As when we're in our fertile years, men and women should both have healthy libidos. We should want to have sex. And a lot of the men that come to the clinic actually come for sexual health reasons as well. And then for women, you know, it looks like trouble losing weight, weight gain that can't be explained. You know, often they're going to the gym, they're eating really well, and yet they just keep on piling on the weight. That really suggests hormones. PMS, so mood swings. Some of the women who come and see us, you know, their mood swings are so bad in the lead up to their period that for a week or two, every single month, they're feeling really depressed, really anxious. And that can affect your quality of life and your overall well-being hugely you know if two weeks of the month you feel okay and two weeks of the month you want to cry <laughs> the whole time that's going to really affect you know everything in your life and then fertility as well is a is a huge one so one of the most common hormone imbalances today amongst women is low progesterone that's being caused by environmental toxins high stress in our lives um, you know not eating a whole food diet or you know eating a diet that's high in inflammatory foods like gluten or dairy for a lot of people coffee again for a lot of people things like that can lead to low progesterone levels and without progesterone we can't get pregnant progesterone comes from ovulation and when we're stressed ovulation is suppressed you know the body's thinking hold on we're in a dangerous situation we could die so this is not an environment to bring a baby into so yeah it kind of holds fire and without ovulation we can't re release progesterone which makes us feel relaxed and calm and happy and all of these good things so we're seeing highly stressed women because they don't have any progesterone to calm them down, who are also feeling really upset that they can't conceive and get pregnant. So there's a lot of that as well. So massive tangent, essentially through the clinic, we were seeing these problems day in, day out and thinking, you know, God, 
this hormone problem is epidemic and nobody's really talking about it nobody's really doing anything about it these are still really taboo topics to talk about in a lot of circles and we surveyed actually about 14,000 women which in New Zealand is a significant amount of people <laughs> and what the results showed was that 80% 87% of women were experiencing moderate to severe hormone imbalance that was affecting them on a regular basis and so you know, that plus what we were seeing through the clinic was mind-blowing. Just the level of the epidemic around hormone imbalance and people having trouble with their hormones was unbelievable. So we knew that we needed to do something. Um, and testing's always been a really big part of what BPure does. So what we see is that when, you know, a lot of people find it difficult to find the motivation to change their diet or change their lifestyle or start that new fitness regime or whatever it is, because, you know, there's always other things that are more important. I'll start on Monday. I'll start next Monday. Or I can't afford that right now. Or, you know, whatever it is. But when you actually take the time to tune in with your body and say, hey, body, how are you doing? (laughs) And, you know, take a test and you see those black and white numbers on the page of your body communicating directly with you and saying, actually, this is where I'm at. It's really difficult to then ignore that and so that's why testing has been a really big part of what BPure has always done through the clinic because as soon as you can show somebody what's really going on inside their body they become incredibly motivated to act and that's how we can get them their best results it's the things that we do every single day and the choices that we make every single day that contribute towards our health both today and into the future so motivating somebody however we can to change their diet start eating better start moving right for them you know cutting out inflammatory foods practicing mindfulness these types of things you know reducing stress it's not sexy but those are the things that's going to make them feel the best <laughs> it's it's not at all and it's quite a challenging thing because often people have got to the state as well and it's been really insidious the onset of it yeah. is it's um, that it doesn't happen quickly so you don't notice the change massively because it happens so slowly or relatively slowly you just feel that it's your your normal or your new normal um absolutely so it is yeah it does come back to kind of that awareness around what's going on with your body and how you're how you're feeling and actually taking some time to acknowledge that and actually reflect on it a little bit as well before you 100%, can start change 100 percent, and that's another reason why the testing can be so powerful is that so many of us are so disconnected from the neck down for women a lot of us feel a lot of resentment and frustration that from the neck down we don't look how we feel like we should look we're not the right size our bum's too big or our boobs are too small or whatever it is and we feel bloated all the time and the body isn't as strong as we want it to be so there's a lot of resentment and a lot of us have really shut down to the physical sensations and the signs that our body's trying to give us to say hey this isn't working out so good maybe change <laughs> and so for people to learn that that connection and that communication and to learn, hey, I feel bloated right now. Oh, I ate cake half an hour ago and now I feel tired. To build up that communication and that connection with the body again can take some time, particularly if you, you know, you've been shut down from trying to experience all of that stuff for 10 years or more that so many of us have, or, you know, for as long as you can remember. That testing again is a really great way to say, hey, actually, this is what your body's telling you. 
and as a result of this you may be experiencing this this and this how does that sound and people are like oh you're right that's exactly how I feel and so it can be a really powerful tool to help people get back in touch with what's actually going on mm, and they're really good aids to help develop that body awareness and I, and I know in my practice as a as a physiotherapist the amount of people that you you see come in and you ask them to do a movement and mm. they just do something completely different because they don't <laughs> have that body awareness that they haven't moved their body deliberately in that way for such a long period of time that, that they really struggle in terms of the control with it and it's I mean it's partially it's a, a muscular thing that their muscles don't want to move like that but partially it's also a central nervous system thing for them too mm. that they, it's been so long that they've sent the signals from the brain down the spinal cord to those to the muscles to say hey I want you to move like this that that yeah. pathway is atrophied as well absolutely yeah absolutely it's it's very very similar so that was kind of the starting point with eve health were you the driving force behind getting it going and getting it off the ground beatrice yeah so i was lucky enough to kind of have a vision for it which largely came from i suppose my own hormone journey that has been extensive and understanding about you know that space and, and what women were going through and the cool thing was to be able to use journey and that experience that I had had to make something that would really help people and really work for people so yeah I was very very grateful to have been able to bring a vision for this to life and yeah it's very humbling it, it was a difficult journey definitely particularly setting up the lab that was that was hard <laughs> mm. that was really hard what was so hard about it well, I didn't know how to set up a lab. <laughs> you know, you first have to figure out what machines you need. And then, you know, the way it works is you buy a specific machine. The, the ones that we use is called LCMS, which is liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. And then once you've got the machine, it, the machine's only as good as the person that's using it and the method that they're using. So then, you know, we had to hire lab scientists to be able to develop methods to run through the machine that would pick up out of the urine the 19 markers that we want to measure and not measure, you know, the myriad of other things that's in urine. There's so many tests that you can do through urine. We had to develop methods where the machine would pick up, you know, the 19 markers that we want to measure and be able to compare those against standards of what the normal, what the optimal level of each of these should be. And, you know, that was a, that was a real process and a, and a challenge too. And then, you know, you have to validate the methods and do different testing around the sample stability. So, you know, if we leave it for two months, is it still say stable or of the metabolites degraded? If we leave it here, if we, you know, do this with it, what happens and so you have to go through all of the validation and write up the method and you know so there's a lot from the lab side that was really challenging and then a lot of this equipment is a extremely expensive you know one of the machines the LCMS was $750,000 and then we got a we got another machine that was $250,000 and they've got three to six month lead times on ordering these machines from the manufacturers. I think probably the highlight was when we ordered one of these machines our lab is in is in Hastings in the Hawke's Bay and at that time our head office was in Auckland and one of these machines got delivered by a courier on a rainy Saturday morning, left out on the street in Auckland for the whole weekend. <laughs> 
we found it and obviously you know it's completely wet through by the time it got redirected down to Hastings our scientists down there opened it up and water came gushing out of the bottom and we're like you have got to be kidding me because <laughs> we've been waiting you know three to six months for this machine at this point it was six weeks even later than that we've got deadlines with the rest of the project we're like shit we've got to you know how the hell are we going to sort this out so we managed to source another machine within a couple of weeks which was a miracle in and of itself and then this machine turns up and it's got condensation inside it and I'm like I'm on the phone to the technician who's in Brisbane logging into the machine remotely and he's like oh yeah we've seen this before this can take up to six months to clear and I'm like this is a brand new machine how does it have condensation inside it and he's like oh you know it came from Singapore it's hot there condensation just you know comes from the travel you know whenever you're doing something that's new and innovative there were just so many curveballs and so many things that you could never predict could happen that somehow find a way to i'm fascinated at the moment talking to people that have started things up about if you'd known at the start what you know now looking back on how hard the process was would you have been more scared to begin with yes and no i think yes in that you know it's been really tough at points and really really challenging and so knowing the challenge that we would go through that would have scared me but also we knew at the start it was going to be tough I remember a couple of us having a conversation saying you know things are going to get pretty wild for a little bit now but we were all so excited to be doing something new and I felt like we were really onto something that was going to really help people and make a difference in their lives and it was something I was so passionate about that you know, I was thinking this is going to be hard and this is probably going to be way harder than I can even imagine, but I'm, I'm into it. I'm up for it because of A, the, the growth that it would bring me and the opportunities that it would bring me, but also what would be able to deliver to other people in terms of the service at the end. So yes, I would have been scared, but I think I still would have done it anyway. <laughs> mm, nice. And what's been the hardest thing getting this up and running, do you think? Definitely the lab side of things. So we started the lab side of things probably two years ago and it was one year ago that we really went full force on the rest of the project. So getting everything else sorted. That was a long road with the lab and that was, yeah, one of one of the hardest, if not the hardest part of it. Another challenging part of it, although this was also probably the funnest part, was crafting the experience to be something that really really did help people really was useful to them and that they really loved and we did that through a lot of user testing and a lot of you know focus groups user interviews things like that and encouraging people to be brutally honest about their experience about what worked what didn't work what they liked what they didn't like and you know at times really hard because this thing feels like your baby you poured your life and soul into it for you know a year or two and there's people telling you this part isn't good I don't like this this needs to be better this isn't helpful and you're like no <laughs> everything in you wants to just say back to them but you don't understand you don't get it but actually the reason why you're looking for their feedback is because you know if they're thinking it other people are going to think it and you have to kind of swallow some humble pie and yeah reshape it to be something that people will actually want and I think as human beings feedback is not something that we like naturally and it's not so it's something that we try to avoid so yeah going out there and getting that was challenging at times but also it's it's been probably the biggest key to making something that's actually useful for people 
Yeah, and I think that's like, that's a really important point that one of the hardest things is when you're starting off with something, especially that's something that you are creating as well, you feel that any any negative feedback is a reflection on yourself as a person, diminishes you. Rather Absolutely. Than it's a reflection on where this idea that I have at the moment is at. And if I separate myself from it, then what I can do is I can, can start to reshape this idea in a way that's going to work better for people. Another point with that as well is that receiving feedback is something that we can train ourselves on as well. Mm-hmm. It's probably to take it back to your dad. It's kind of that graded exposure to spiders that you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to give, you don't want like to have the real big scary tarantula coming out at you to start with that. You want something little. So having someone tell you that your idea is bullshit straight off the bat is probably not a, not a great way to train yourself. But if they um, tell you that before you've launched, that's the best bit of feedback you could ever Definitely. get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the money spider to you launching and everybody saying, this is awful. I don't want mm. that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And some advice, you know, that was something that I struggled with at the start was living and dying by every bit of feedback that we got, whether it was positive or negative. You know, when you get a positive piece, piece of feedback, the tendency is to think, oh my God, we're amazing. You know, like we're doing this thing. It's awesome. I'm awesome. And then you get a negative piece of feedback half an hour later and you're like, oh my God, everyone's going to realize I don't know what I'm doing. This is awful. Why am I even doing this? You know, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. And yeah, a friend who's also a business owner said to me, you know, you've got to learn not to live and die with the last piece of feedback that you got because it's all just information Mm. and positive feedback is great definitely bank those things but don't pay too much attention to it because there's always going to be stuff that you need to improve and, and areas for you to grow and then the negative feedback you know that's all good take what resonates leave the rest and it doesn't mean anything about your worth as a person and that was important that was important feedback for me to receive from her at that point when I was feeling very much like that. Yeah. And it's, it's massively tiring. I think if your kind of sense of well-being almost is riding on, on each piece of feedback is that you just vacillate from high highs to low lows, depending on, totally. on what's coming in for you at the time. And as your friend mentioned that these are just, these are data points for people yeah. that, Hey, this is someone else's opinion on what it is that I'm doing at the moment it's not a attack on my moral fiber as a human being exactly i kind of think of it now as being similar to blood sugars you know like when you spike your blood sugars really high and then let them crash low that's the worst thing that you can do for yourself and and living and dying on feedback is the same thing you know you can soar really high and everything's great and then you crash really low and everything's bad that's not a sustainable kind of source for your mental well-being and energy that's like that's like the sugary you know that's the sugary drink of mental Mm. well-being if you know what i mean like it's the highs and the lows and it's dramatic and it's not sustainable yeah and i've been listening to a little bit of Gary V recently and one of the ways that he describes it is that it's like you're playing a game and the feedback is are the cheers and the boos of the fans that you hear them but you you, you still have to keep playing the game you can't totally. let that affect how you play and I was like well that's quite a I like a good sporting analogy so that one that one was quite same nice. and like I've heard a similar analogy as well that I really agree of is that we don't have to listen to every piece of feedback and one of the things I've learned is you know, if the person who's giving the feedback is not on the court, 
if they're not there with you, like trying to do their best and, you know, getting their hands dirty and covered in blood, sweat and tears down there, you know, on the, on the field with you. And they're just up in the stands kind of pointing down like, oh, that wasn't very good what you did there. That's not the type of feedback that serves us to listen to because that person's not in it. You know, they're not willing to play the game. They're not willing to get dirty themselves. They're just, they're just wanting to, you know, criticize from that safe place up there in the stands where they don't have to be a part of it. And, you know, not listening to that type of feedback from people that actually aren't willing to go there, I think is also key. <laughs> exactly. I was going to ask what's that, what's been the hardest thing for you internally in this process and probably what we've just talked about is, so maybe I'll ask what's the hardest thing internally for you at the moment moving forward? I think the hardest thing for me internally is probably continuing to practice self-compassion so self-compassion is something that I've come across in the past year or so is a practice that's really helped with you know my sense of self-worth I, I believe that every single human walking this planet has you know and that deep-seated belief of I'm not enough and that it comes out in in all of our lives in different ways whether it's work or relationships or health or you know your relationship with yourself or finances or whatever it may be this belief expresses different in all of us and with me I definitely had a belief that I'm not good enough to do this and you know who am I to be doing what I'm doing and that belief was also holding me back in my relationships as well you know not wanting to be truly vulnerable with people and really be seen and really open up and really share and be the true me out of fear that I would not be enough and that I would be rejected because I think the ultimate fear of, of all humans is that we won't be loved and that we'll be rejected and that we'll be by ourselves. And that probably goes back to a really primal place of if we're not loved, we won't be part of the pack and therefore we'll die because the pack is, you know, the pack, the tribe, that's life. So yeah, for me, I've been really going head to head with my beliefs around unworthiness and not enoughness and self-compassion has been a really incredible tool to help me on that journey. So self-compassion pretty much teaches us that it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to be scared, to, you know, be angry, whatever it is. And that actually we are safe. It's going to be okay. What do I need right now? And so there's a, there's a few different aspects of self-compassion, but that's kind of the basis of it is learning to self-soothe. You know, when we're children, we have our parents to soothe us and to say, that's okay, honey, you know, give you a hug. It's going to be okay. You're safe. I love you. And then it, we reach a certain age where we're, where no one's doing that for us anymore. Our parents don't do that for us on a daily basis anymore. And a lot of us end up trying to seek that validation externally, but actually what we really get to do once we become adults is learn to do that for ourselves, you know, learn to catch ourselves in the fear and feeling worried and, you know, thoughts of judgment and limiting beliefs and just take, take a pause, close our eyes, you know, maybe put your hand on your heart and connect with yourself physically, which is, you know, physical touch is hugely powerful for humans or for any animal really. And just say, you're safe. It's going to be okay. I love you. And as cheesy as it may sound, that's incredibly powerful if you can learn to do that with yourself and to catch yourself in those moments where actually you need just a little bit of love and a little bit of reassurance. It's amazing. And I would hazard a guess that the vast majority of the population 
is pretty rubbish at self-compassion. I'm definitely better than I was at it, probably. I've still got a long way to go. But from a practical sense and in the way that you've trained it in yourself, how have you gone Mm. about doing that? So the first step is awareness. So is noticing the types of events or conversations or situations where you feel triggered or feel fear or feel worry. You know, where are those places that that comes up? And what are the times that you find yourself talking negatively to yourself the most and again building kind of conscious awareness around that so step one is just catching it and identifying it and developing the awareness around it because once you know you know then you have choice and so after you've learned just to identify when those things are happening like oh I'm feeling fear right now interesting because emotions are just information right you know it's just feedback oh, I feel frustrated right now. Oh, I'm feeling triggered right now. Interesting. So once you pass that step, it then becomes a practice of remembering to self-soothe. So, you know, I'd be in, in meetings at work feeling scared or feeling triggered. And, you know, even just in that meeting, placing my hand on my heart and thinking to myself as the other person is blabbing on, thinking to myself, I'm safe. It's going to be okay. And, you know, just taking a deep breath at the same time, calming the nervous system, trying to move out of sympathetic nervous system into parasympathetic, calm down and it's all okay. And so that's step two is, and that can go on for, you know, this whole process is really quick to talk about, but that can go on for a couple of months, you know, developing that awareness and then remembering in times of stress or trigger or fear or whatever it may be, just to, it's going to be okay. I'm safe. There's nothing dangerous around me right now. I'm safe. That can take a long time. And then once you've mastered that, the next step becomes, what do I need right now? So then it moves kind of more into the yang side of self-compassion, the yin being that self-soothing, that gentle touch, you know, that softer side. And then the yang side is is taking self-compassion action towards what you really need. So that would be, okay, I'm feeling you know, scared right now, what do I need? What I need is actually to take myself for a walk around the block because I know that the situation that I'm in right now is not taking me anywhere good. And for me, I need to get outside. I need to move my body, get some fresh air and change my state. You know, that's, that's the next step is I've self-soothed. I know I'm safe, but what do I need to be able to, you know, move forward in the best way? The basics of self-compassion right there. And I like your comment as well about the timeframes on this is that this is a long-term process and this is probably, this is something that you basically keep working on until you die. Totally. Cause like the goal of being a human is never to get there. Like there doesn't exist in anything that we do. And that's not the goal of being human. You know, as humans, we're always going to suffer. We are always going to be uncomfortable. Yes. There's going to be periods where we're not, but every single day we'll probably feel a little bit uncomfortable in some way or another. And there are going to be periods of suffering. And the goal of, you know, any journey in life is not to avoid suffering or to avoid discomfort. It's to learn these tools so that we can move through those periods with as much grace and ease as possible and to just go easy on ourselves. You know, the goal of of practice is to become a compassionate man. You know, that is imperfect, making mistakes often, being irrational, being hypocritical, because that's what being human is and just having self-compassion and compassion for others along the way recognizing that we're all on this journey in one way or another exactly and i mean it's normal as well and i think like we've really 
have been sold the idea that we should be perfect. We should be striving for comfort. We should be striving to get there wherever there yeah. is. But yeah. actually, life is hard. Life is uncomfortable. As you yeah. say, we're, we're imperfect. And that's really normal. Mm-hmm. Accepting it and enjoying the process and enjoying the suffering sometimes. Totally. Yeah. Learning to be okay with it not being okay as well. Um, for a lot of people, it's certainly been part of my journey has been allowing myself to feel emotion. I think traditionally men are taught it's not okay to express sadness. You may be angry, but you may not be sad. Mm. You certainly may not cry. And then for women, it's okay for us to cry and be sad, but we're not allowed really as it's not as socially acceptable for us to express anger. And so, but both of these emotions are, are, are human emotions and they're both really powerful. And I think the more that we can allow ourselves to healthily express those and, and move on and allow them to come and go and then we move on, the better. Mm. And if you repress them, then you're not able to process them. As a guy as well, I would add that you're allowed to be hungry as well. I think it's improving and I think conversations like this and a lot of other conversations that are going on at the moment as well are normalizing that it's okay for us to, especially as young New Zealand males, although I'm not as young as some, <laughs> as young New Zealand males, that, that's something that we really need to come to terms to, with as well because you just look at the, the statistics around mm. mental health challenges and, and suicide and Zealand males are just really, we've got really poor outcomes in that area when you get yeah. those statistics to any worldwide, basically. Definitely. Like I'm a big, big, big fan of the feminist movement that's happening at the moment, but I do think we need a little bit of a movement to help our men as well. Because mm. yes, in many areas, men have um, experienced advantages, but I, I do think that the idea of what a man um, in quote marks should be is really broken as well and holds back a lot of men from from living their best lives from feeling happy from feeling fulfilled from having great relationship and I think that's a big contributing factor towards some of these statistics that we see and it would be amazing if as a society we could reshape what's acceptable as a man and what's acceptable as a woman to just unlock greater freedom for all of us definitely I, I completely agree with that and I think I think we're we're hopefully at the start of that from a from a male perspective as well, and I'm yeah. I'm privileged enough uh, to to know a few guys who are doing some great work in that area as well, um, mm. and having those having those conversations in in different ways as well, which is uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, same here. There are some incredible men out there doing some really really great things to advance the masculine. Um, and it's very, very exciting to see what, what could be coming there for sure. Mm, definitely. Um, so what is, what's, next for, what's next for Beatrice? What's next for Eve Health? Yeah, so um, Eve's actually bringing out a new test later this month, which is a stress and adrenal test. So we are a hormone testing company. Um, first test that we launched was a um, hormone balance test for men and for women, but you know, obviously women um, have gravitated towards that a little bit more. Um, and that, yeah, this, the second one is a stress and adrenal test where we're looking at your cortisol levels four to five times throughout the day and cortisone levels four to five times throughout the day to see how your body is coping with life's day-to-day stress. Um, and 
yeah the tests that we've done so far are fascinating very interesting I've done it twice um, <laughs> um, and it's really cool to see um, yeah how how stressed we are I mean I shouldn't say it's cool. I find it cool from a from a research and from a science perspective. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Mm. It's mm. it's really 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 fascinating. Um, and I think yeah, I'm personally really really excited for this because stress is a topic I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, stress not only being a hard day at the office or you know worrying about paying that bill, but um, stress is, you know, environmental toxins, not eating a good diet, having gut issues, um, you know, the guilt that we feel about different things, shame that we carry around, childhood trauma that still affects us, um, you know, that voice in your head telling you that you're not good enough, that there's so many different sources of stress in our modern lives um, and the impact that they have on our bodies is profound you know, as, as you'll know through your work, we only have one stress response. It doesn't matter whether it's coming from, you know, a car coming towards us too fast on the road or um, just thinking about a presentation that we have to do at work tomorrow, the body physiologically responds in the exact same way. Um, and so if we think that these days we're getting stressed and are exposed to stresses and stressful situations, pretty much on the regular <laughs> um and these can be you know for extended period periods of time that we're exposed to stress which was not what our stress response was evolved to deal with it's having a interesting and detrimental effect on our health um in the short and long term so yeah i'm i'm really excited to bring this test out and to help people understand a little bit more about stress the concept of it, the effect that it's having on their bodies and how they can, um, you know, eat, move um, and live in ways that truly serve them to help their body cope with stress and to minimise the stress that they're also exposing themselves to. So mm. that's coming up next. That is that is very cool. And we might have to do a repeat podcast actually to, to talk about all of those topics uh, if, you're, if you're keen on that. Um, and yeah, I definitely sure. think we'll... Uh, I have to do a little bit of testing on myself as well with, with some of your tests just to see where, where I sit with that. Because again, yeah, it's, it, it's I recommend it. And I'm obviously I would, but you know, I know my body pretty well. I'm pretty in tune with this thing now um, and what it's different signs and symptoms mean. But you know, until you test, you really don't know. Like I thought that I had, you know, after building the lab and launching this business and everything else, I thought that I, that I had a burnout picture and I was like, yeah, you know, I know that I'm going to see low cortisol. Um, I'm going to have a burnout picture. I know that that's what's going on for me. You know, I feel fatigued. And then my results came through and actually my adrenals are functioning really well. My cortisol levels are good. Um, and I was like, huh, that is amazing. And so you know that led me to then then to think okay so what's causing me to feel fatigued because actually my body's fine my health is fine and then I'm like well the only other thing then is my mind I'm waking up every day expecting to feel tired because I think I'm burnt out and then I'm going around telling everyone oh I'm so tired all the time and you know I can't check this tiredness and so how do I feel I feel tired obviously um so I've been you know since seeing those results I've been able to do some really cool work on 
um, reframing that in my brain and, you know, reframing the messages that I send, that I tell myself and that I tell others and watching the energy come back pretty quickly is amazing. So yeah, you never quite know what's going on until you test mm. and it can unlock some pretty cool journeys from there on as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a fascinating conversation with a psychologist about just those messages today as well and uh, how, yeah. and how powerful they are. Beatrice, I have some, I have some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of our conversation. Sure. The, the first one is what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Oh, last uncomfortable thing I did would have been probably a presentation uh, event that I spoke at earlier this week. I'm starting to feel more confident. Yeah, pretty comfortable with speaking, but the event was about 120 people and I was imagining it would be maybe 40 or 50. There was a stage, you know, <laughs> it was a bit more of a big deal than what I had imagined it was in my head. And I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> um, and how I got through it was when I do speaking events, I like to start off by getting everyone to do a breathing exercise. So it's something that we do a lot at Eve and also at Be Pure at the beginning of meetings and things like that to kind of calm everyone's energy, get everyone on the same page. And I use breathing practices a lot in my own personal life as well. So I got through it by getting up onto the stage, getting everyone to close down their eyes, focus on their breath and, and guided them through a quick breathing exercise, which calmed me down, um, made me feel really comfortable. And then from there on, yeah, there was, there was no nerves or anything like that. Um, mindfulness is so powerful and the breath, so powerful. Mm, interesting. I might, I'll, I'll have to try that at a meeting that we're, that we're having tomorrow. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? The next uncomfortable thing is definitely getting this test launched, I'd say. And the reason why that is uncomfortable is because I think whenever you, well, Whenever I'm doing something new, you, I feel, you know, nervous. You know, what if people, what if it's not understood? What if people don't receive it well? What if, you know, these fears come up as I think they do in, in all humans? I think it's a, it's a human trait. And so, you know, we're putting ourselves out there, I suppose, and it's a bit vulnerable whenever you launch something new. So I'm really excited to get that out there and bust those fears open. <laughs> because whenever you do something you prove you're often proved wrong about whatever your fears were and if you're proved right if your fears come true it's because they're there to teach you something and you're on a path to get to somewhere better so i'm excited to see where that goes and yeah a little nervous mm, it's a cool perspective to to take on it we've we've touched on a lot of these already but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations journaling would definitely be another another big one another go-to um so i find with journaling it's a really really powerful way to figure out where the discomfort in something is coming from um you know our heads can be so messy and so full of so many different things that getting all of that out onto a blank piece of paper can be incredibly liberating can help us see things for what they really are um, and can unlock some beliefs or some thoughts or feelings that we didn't realize were there, but have subconsciously be running, been running the show and making us feel uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, if I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable about something or a bit nervous or, you know, having some doubts or having that negative self-talk come through, I'll often turn to journaling to just 
unpack what's going on mentally you know where's this coming from what's scary about it what's the worst that can happen um how do i want to move forward from here how do i want to feel going into this because that's you know the power of intention is also something that can't be um overlooked and and visualization as well you know how do i want this day to go how do i want that present presentation to to go and doing all of that through writing which is something i've always found yeah i've always loved to write that's a big one for me mm, cool Beatrice, I've got a couple of other quick questions for you, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to have a conversation with me, but also thank you so much for helping people firstly become aware of their health and then actually helping them to, to do things to improve that as well. Uh, I, I really appreciate all the, all the hard work that you're doing and all the discomfort that you're going through with it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I feel a little bit bad that I haven't talked more about the hormone side of things, but it felt natural, I suppose, in this kind of conversation to talk a lot more about the personal journey that I've been through in and alongside that. Mm. Well, and, and if we get you back on to talk about stress as well, we, we can definitely have a chat about the hormone role in, in that too. If people are interested in, in finding out more about you and about Eve Health and the hormone side of things, where, where should they go? How can they do that? Yep, so we are at Eve Health Co on Instagram or um, evehealth.com. Um, anyone who's interested in finding out a little bit more about hormones, go to our blog. There is some absolute, there's some great stuff in there. Um, and it's mostly directed towards men, women, but there's some great stuff for men on the blog as well. Um, and then I'm at Beatrice Thorne on Instagram. Awesome. Beatrice, do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Oh, I like that. Um, I'd say for, yeah, I'd say for women, a challenge would be to, and this is more on the hormone side of things, a challenge would be to figure out where you are in your menstrual cycle and think about how you feel. Um, that will be and then go on to the Eve website um, and find out more about that. Um, the stages of our cycles is incredibly powerful and incredibly important. Um, and then for men, if you have a, a significant other in your life, a partner, or, you know, maybe your mum, if you feel comfortable going there, you know, ask them where in their cycle that they are and what that means and get curious and start finding out. It might feel uncomfortable at the start, but I guarantee it will open up way better relationships, a way better understanding of one another um, and some very cool stuff. Mm, that is a that is an interesting challenge. Beatrice, thank you so <laughs> much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Yeah, you are so welcome. Thank you. There you have it team, a fascinating conversation about uh, taking on challenges and, and looking after yourself and just making sure that you're compassionate to yourself too. A couple of quick thanks, thank you Jylan for your awesome editing buddy, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music and thank you as always for you guys for getting uncomfortable with Beatrice and I today and remember stay tuned for the end of the week those short episodes are back with another strategy for you have a great week